Good morning. morning. Hope everybody's doing well. I'm going to give everybody a warning right now. We have this wonderful clock in the back. It was a gift to the church, and if you're in Sunday school, you know where I'm going. And it's, it's one of those atomic clocks that sets itself. For some reason, in the middle of Sunday school, it just decided to reset itself. It was just going around. It took it about you know, a minute and a half to go 12 hours. Well, it totally threw me off. So, we're just going to blame it on the clock today, okay? Yeah, in all seriousness, uh, I know I normally stumble and fall at least once in the service, but at least today I've got something to blame it on. So, a couple of announcements as we begin. Um, please, you know, you do have your bulletin there, and the calendar is on the back of the bulletin. The announcements are there as well. So if I miss anything, just double-check that. Um, our Bible studies will meet Wednesday night at 6 as normal, and thanks to everybody that's been coming out to that. I know, ladies, you have a couple weeks left. Is that correct? And uh, men, we've got three or four weeks, I believe. We started a little bit later, had a couple more um, uh, chapters to go through. Um, and then we'll make plans for the summer from there. Um, my plans, my thoughts are at least, is to offer something over the summer, maybe for both groups together. And then when we get back together in the fall for a normal group, but the schedule on that over the summer will be kind of um, uh, flexible, shall we say. Um, so just be looking for that in the next few weeks. Elders, we will meet tomorrow night at five o'clock in the fellowship hall. Uh, women's lunch bunch will be a week from Tuesday on the 27th at 1130 at Food and Friends. Um, and so please gather for that fellowship there. I also have an announcement from the women of the church. Um, they have undertaken a project to help the Family Refuge Center. Um, we, they will be collecting gently used or new items that are needed, and there's a list of those items posted on the, the little easel, the bulletin board out there in the entryway. Um, they're going to be collecting items until May 11th, and we'll have a table with a sign on it set up down along one of the walls in the Fellowship Hall. So if you have any questions about that, please see Linda Moore. Um, but this is a wonderful opportunity for us to help out um, uh, a much-needed uh, ministry in our community. Are there any other announcements? Yes, we are planning another uh, Keep It Game Night. Okay. Um, sometime the beginning part of May. Uh, it'll either be the Friday the 7th or, May, or the 8th, Saturday the 8th, but I haven't uh, firmed up the dates yet. So. Okay. All right, so we will be planning another game night that first week of, of May. Anything else? All right, our call to worship today comes from Psalm 89. The, the reading is found there in your bulletin in your order of service. Hear these words that God will use today to call us into his presence for worship. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. The heavens praise your wonders, O Lord. Your faithfulness, too, in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. Let's pray. Our God and Father above, we are here today to sing about and to proclaim the great love that you have for us, a love that lasts forever. We will make your faithfulness known to the generations, the generations that are here and the generations that come after us. Because if we were to be quiet, if we were to, to clothe Close our mouths regarding the glories and the love that you have. The heavens would break out in praise. The very stones would cry out with the words, who is like our Lord? Who is like our Lord? 
who calls sinners into his presence to worship and is honored by that worship through the work of his son. And so, Lord, remind us that you are here. Remind us that you are close. Remind us that you love us with an everlasting love. And remind us that as we pray this prayer that you taught us, that you hear and that you answer. And so we pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The psalm, the, our, our call to worship today opened with the, with the declaration that we will sing God's praises. And so let's do that very thing. Please take uh, Bible songs, that green book there in the pew pocket, and turn to number 183, the triumphant Christ. We are able to gather, we are able to know that God accepts our worship because Jesus was triumphant over sin and over death. So let us stand and sing Bible song 183, the triumphant Christ. be seated. As we gather in the presence of the Holy God to worship God, we are called to search our hearts and to confess our sins. And so let us take a time of silent confession to go before God and confess and repent. The psalmist in Psalm 103 gives us these words of assurance. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, 
so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on all those who fear him. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, beginning in verse 13, a a section of the book of Ecclesiastes that um, the English translators have entitled, Wisdom is Better Than Folly. Hear the word of the Lord. I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it. Now there lived in that city a man poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy and inspired word. Now, if we will consider out of God's abundance, he has given us much. So let us consider how we may return a portion to him through our tithes and offerings. To the great God and Father above, we do thank you for all that you have given to us out of your abundance, out of the cattle and a thousand hills that you own. You have provided for each of us as you see fit and as you are most glorified. And we have today returned in gratitude and in worship a portion to you. So please take what has been given. May it be used for your honor. May it be used for your glory. And may your gospel be proclaimed both here and around the world through what we have given. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain standing and take your hymn book, the maroon book there before you, and turn to number 238. Seal us, O Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our guarantor, our seal of the the benefits of salvation to God's people. So let us remain standing and proclaim that truth and drive it deep into our hearts as we sing hymn number 238, Seal Us, O Holy Spirit. Thank you. 
Please be seated. We are set free by the truth of Scripture, and that truth is summarized for us in the Apostles' Creed. So Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, just a couple of updates as we go to the Lord. Um, please be praying for Barry Hoke. He is in Charleston. He was supposed to have a heart cath this morning. Um, so pray for wisdom in that as um, the doctors try to figure out what's going on with him. Um, also continue to pray for Janie Kirk as she is continuing her recovery, continuing to strengthen, but is having some reactions to medication that's still kind of keeping her, her home. Um, I saw Don out driving this week, so it's good to know he's getting back and strengthening and, and that. So just thank God for uh, Don Farlow's progress in that. Um, any other updates, requests? Hi. Yes. I'd like you to continue to keep the thing of the back to the neurologist. Uh, they're willing to send surgery beads for further evaluation to find out exactly what is going on. Okay. All right. All right. So continue to pray for Gay Foran. It's uh, Linda's sister. Anything? Do you have anything on Natalie? Okay, so please continue to pray for Natalie Wade. Anything else? All right, let's approach our Lord in prayer. Our God and Father, we are astounded by your steadfast love, a love that is marked by your faithfulness to your covenant. You have promised that if your people live lives according to your laws, that you will give them rewards, that you will give them blessings, the blessings of life, the blessings of fellowship with you, the blessings of uh, a home to hope for, the blessings of communion with the God, the triune God of the universe. And you have been faithful to those promises even though many times we have been faithless to our end of the covenant. Oftentimes we look at your law and we turn our back on it. We seek other gods before you. We set up idols, maybe not idols of wood and of silver, but gods of our own making regardless. And we worship them rather than you. We we profane your name by taking it upon us, calling ourselves Christians, and then living lives that are against your law. We forget the day that you have set aside, a day of rest, a day of worship, and we go about our normal works and activities. We harbor disrespect for authority in our hearts, whether it's parental authority or governmental authority, or whatever authority that you have placed over us, we harbor disrespect and hatred for that authority in our hearts, thereby showing our disrespect for your authority. We look at your images, fellow men and women who were created with the dignity and honor of being called the image of God, and we harbor anger and hate against them in our hearts, thereby committing murder. We disrespect the bonds of marriage 
through lust, through adultery. We disrespect the private property that you have given to us and seek to steal, whether through shaving time at work or whatever means by which we disrespect other people's property. We we rebel against your truth and exaggerate or kind of shade the stories just enough to make us look good. We come back around to the beginning as we realize that all of these sins are rooted in our pursuit and worship of things that other people have rather than worship of you. And Lord, because of that, we deserve death. We do not deserve the blessings of the covenant because we have been faithless. And yet you and your faithfulness planned before the creation of the world, before there was the concept of time, before we were ever created, you planned a means by which your faithfulness could be imputed to us. You didn't set aside your justice. You didn't cease being God in the fact that you hate sin and that you punish sin. But you made a plan and set the plan in motion and completed the plan whereby the sins of those whom you have chosen would be punished at the cross. Where we have been faithless that faithlessness was placed upon him. And the eternal punishment that was due to that faithlessness, my faithlessness, our faithlessness, that punishment fell upon the cross so that I might have the faithfulness of Christ's righteousness. So that I might know that you look at me and see me holy and righteous, that you look at us and see us as faithful before you. So that when we do stand before your throne and the one who sits to your right judges both the living and the dead, we will cry out, I have no hope but Christ. And you will say that is enough. And you will say welcome and well done to those of us who have been faithless because of Jesus' faithfulness. And then that third person, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, he he came into each of our lives and took the dead hearts of stone and regenerated them and gave us hearts of flesh so that we might embrace in faith the work done on our behalf, so that we might have applied to us the glories of the redemption And so that we might be sealed to you. And that Holy Spirit, that third person of the Trinity, walks with us and in us, leading us toward holiness, leading us through the discipline that you bring upon those that you love, and reminding us that your grace is sufficient for us, whether we are on the mountaintops or whether we are wrestling and struggling with those thorns in our flesh, that constantly tempt us to look for the gods that we make in our image rather than walking with you. That Holy Spirit comes along beside us and reminds us that we are sealed to Jesus. We are sealed in Jesus to the God, the creator of the universe, so that we might sing your praises, sing of your steadfast love, sing of your everlasting love and know that you are glorified. Know that you are magnified by our feeble, faltering, and broken lips. Cleanse us, O Lord. Remind us that the coal was taken from the altar and placed upon the cross so that you might find our words acceptable. Well, thank you so much for the gospel message. Thank you so much that sinners, that liars and cheats and adulterers and murderers and fornicators 
have been made children of God through the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thank you that we have communion with you. Thank you that we can stand in your presence bringing our prayers and petitions to you with thanksgiving and know that they will be heard because we have peace with you. A peace that oftentimes is not understandable because I know who I am. We know who we are. And if we are honest with ourselves, we don't understand how we could have peace with God. All we can do is worship and glorify you for that peace that you have purchased for us. We thank you for all the other blessings that we have that we take for granted. We thank you for food on our table. We thank you for the cars that we drive, the homes that we live in, the family and the friends that we have. We thank you for this family, this church that you have placed us in, this this body of believers who are walking along this path together, seeking to lift each other up, seeking to encourage each other in the gospel message, seeking to find the peace that you bring together as a family, as brothers and sisters adopted as children of God through the work of Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for all the many blessings that you have given to us. And we lift up our brothers and sisters who ail today. We think of Natalie and ask that you would continue to strengthen her, continue to encourage her in this walk, continue to give success to the treatments that she has. And Lord, as she begins this fifth round of chemo, as she awaits the next scan, we ask, please bring healing. Please bring strength. Please bring comfort to her and to her family. We pray for our friend Gay, our sister Gay, as she travels to Duke for more tests to see what's going on with her Parkinson's. And we pray for Jimmy and for the rest of her family that you would sustain and strengthen them as they begin this walk with Parkinson's. And we we ask for your grace in the midst of this. Remind them that your grace is sufficient no matter what happens in this difficulty. We pray for our sister Janie as well and ask that you would continue to strengthen her and to lift her up as as she adjusts to some new medications, as she adjusts to to this new uh, regimen with the stroke center. We ask that you would continue to sustain her and to strengthen her and, and be with Ron as well as he cares for her, as he walks alongside her in this difficult journey. And remind him that that your grace is sufficient for him as well as a caregiver and as a spouse. We pray for our brother Barry and ask that you would uh, walk alongside him in that hospital room today. Give him peace. Give him comfort in the midst of this trial. Remind him that you are close. Remind him that you are near. Remind him that you have him in your hand. And we pray for his wife Donna as well, asking that you would help her as she deals with caring for him in the midst of COVID um, and the restrictions that are placed on her care for him. And as he is in the hospital because of COVID, we ask that you would continue to sustain and strengthen her in this difficult time. We thank you that Don is feeling better, is back up on his feet, able to be out and to drive on his own. And we ask for continued strength for him and for uh, for Donna as well, as she cares for him and and as she uh, lives her life also. Lord, we love you. And we love you because you first loved us. We would be unable to love you if that were not true. And so, Lord, as we turn toward your word today, show us your love in that word. Show us your grace in that word. Show us your glory in that word. And remind us that we are formed by the work of the Spirit and the Word as we seek to walk humble and holy lives before you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take your Bibles in hand now and and turn toward that Word as we find it in Proverbs. Uh, We will be in Proverbs chapter 20. We're going to begin today in verse 29, and we will move all the way through Uh, the end of chapter 21. 
And so in light of that, I will go ahead and begin in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 29. The glory of young men is their strength. Gray hair, the splendor of the old. Blows and wounds cleanse away evil and beatings purge the inmost being. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. All a man's hand, all a man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the heart. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. A fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare. The violence of the wicked will drag them away, for they refuse to do what is right. The way of the guilty is devious, but the conduct of the innocent is upright. Better to live on a corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. The wicked man craves evil. His neighbor gets no mercy from him. When a mocker is punished, the simple gain wisdom. When a wise man is instructed, he gets knowledge. The righteous one takes note of the house of the wicked and brings the wicked to ruin. If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. A gift given in secret soothes anger, and a bribe concealed in the cloak pacifies great wrath. When justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. A man who strays from the path of understanding comes to rest in the company of the dead. He who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will never be rich. The wicked become a ransom for the righteous and the unfaithful for the upright. Better to live in a desert than with quarrelsome and in, than with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. In the house of the wise are stores of choice oil and food, but a foolish man devours all he has. He who pursues righteousness and love finds life prosperity, and honor. A wise man attacks the city of the mighty and pulls down the stronghold in which they trust. He who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. The proud and arrogant man, Mocker, is his name. He behaves with overweening pride. The sluggard's craving will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. All day long he craves for more but the righteous give without sparing. The sacrifice of the wicked is detestable, how much more so when brought with evil intent. A false witness will perish, and whoever listens to him will be destroyed forever. A wicked man puts up a bold front, but a righteous man gives thought to his ways. There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of the battle. But victory rests with the Lord. Let us pray. Our God and Father, once again, I pray to you that as we approach your word, that you would shine the light of your word into our lives. Show us where oftentimes we pursue wickedness rather than righteousness, folly rather than wisdom. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, remind us that when you shine that light in our heart, it is a work of discipline and a work of sanctification, and that it is nowhere near what we deserve, but what we need to move more and more toward your glory and your honor. So help us to rest in that glory. Help us to rest in the knowledge of your grace as we look at these words. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I got a haircut the other day. And I got up from the seat and I looked on the floor and I said, where did all that gray hair come from? And my son just laughed, just chuckled. They are remodeling. Hopefully when they remodel, they get a lighter colored floor tile. Our passage today opens with this reminder that both the young and the glory, uh, both the young and the old have their own glory. The young find their glory in their strength, while the old find their splendor 
in their gray hair. Earlier in the book of Proverbs, we learned that gray hair is a crown of glory because oftentimes it symbolizes at least that we've gotten to a place where we should be wise, if not wisdom itself. But the glory of young men is in their strength. And putting these two things together, Solomon reminds us that the young need the old and the old need the young as well. The young need the wisdom of the old to help them as they are starting upon their path, as they are moving toward uh, choosing wisdom from folly. And sometimes the older among us need the strength of the youth as we seek to walk those last few steps on the wise road. And then he reminds us that wisdom sometimes comes through discipline, not just through learning, which is something that he will touch on a little bit later on in our passage today. And and he reminds us that we are disciplined in the pursuit of wisdom. And then he turns to the king, which is what we are going to focus on today. And he gives us three marks of a wise king and five marks of a wicked king. And he remind us that it is the heart that matters. As we move into this today, we will look at the marks of the wise king, the marks of the wicked king, and be reminded that it is the heart that matters. First, three marks of the wise king. Solomon, remember Solomon is king of Israel. And he is writing this book of Proverbs to his son and his son will one day be king of Israel. And he is seeking to teach his son the wisdom necessary to rule in a way that is wise and ultimately rule in a way that honors and glorifies God. I think one of the tragedies of this reality as we study the book of Proverbs is that both Solomon and Rehoboam failed mightily. We're going to look at how Solomon talks about, you know, looking for the correct spouse in this particular passage. And we know that Solomon's downfall was 300 wives and 700 concubines who pursued other gods and other idols and, and took Solomon's gaze away from the one true God. And Rehoboam's folly was in looking to foolish counselors rather than those gray-haired old men who had wisdom and looking to them and ripping the kingdom apart in going after folly rather than wisdom. But Solomon still gives us here these marks of a wise king. And the first mark of a wise king is that he is diligent. Verses 5 and 6 talk about uh, the plans of a diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. A fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare. Would you rather have a, a million dollars today or a penny doubled every day for 30 days? You'd rather have the penny doubled every day for 30 days because it is several million dollars at the end of the 30 days rather than the million dollars today. You would rather have a, a wealth through diligence. You would rather have power through hard work. You would rather have the prestige in a society, the wisdom that comes through diligent plotting day by day, seeking the wisdom of God, seeking to rule and to live well is what Solomon is telling his son here. The get-rich-quick schemes, the the Fortunes made by a lying tongue, well, they are a fleeting vapor. And even if they last, well, if you got them by hook or by crook, well, one of these days somebody will get you by hook or by crook. The fortune made quickly can be a deadly snare. It can lead us away from a focus on God. But that diligent work will be rewarded by God. And ultimately, those who are diligent will have resources that they can share with others. If we look forward to verse 20 in the second half of verse 26, we see that 
In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all that he has. And then down to verse 26, the second half, the righteous give without sparing. Those who work diligently, those who have developed habits of setting aside little by little will have resources that they can share with others. And that's why God gives us wealth. He doesn't just give us wealth so that we can live a comfortable life. He gives us wealth so that we can share, so that we can be a blessing to the community. And so that when people come to us, we have things that we can share with them, whether it's knowledge, whether it's wisdom, whether it's physical things. So the king, the wise king is diligent. Secondly, the wise king is concerned with righteousness and justice. Chapter 21, verses 12 through 15. The righteous one, which is capitalized there to to point us toward God, toward a person, but the language is also there to where it could just refer to a righteous person as well. It's a little bit of a double meaning that Solomon gives us there. But the righteous one takes note of the house of the wicked and brings the wicked to ruin. If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. A gift given in secret soothes anger. And a bribe concealed in the cloak pacifies great wrath. When justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. Righteousness and justice are two sides of the same coin, as we have talked about throughout the book of Proverbs. Justice is righteousness applied equitably across the board. It is the law applied to everybody equally, regardless of status, whether that status is based on economics or ethnicity. Justice is the law applied fairly and equitably to everybody. When we ignore the cries of the poor, we are ignoring the law. The law was set up in such a way that whenever I harvested my fields, I would leave portions of it in the field so that the poor could come along and work and gather grain. If I ignore them by harvesting every last kernel of grain, I am being unjust. When somebody breaks the law, if I give favor to somebody who can give me money or bribe me, I am denying them the justice that the law deserves, that the law cries for, and I am denying their victim as well, justice. Sometimes wrath is necessary, and the bribe will pacify wrath when it should not be pacified. Solomon is telling his son, look, you should be concerned with the the right and the just application of the law to everybody without regard for who they are, rich or poor, alien or citizen. Everybody should have the law applied to them equitably. You should provide for the poor and listen when they cry out. You should make sure that justice is done when justice is needed. Because if you ignore the poor and if you ignore justice, your cry will be ignored and you will find justice harsh and heavy upon you from God. And thirdly, the wise king guards his tongue. We have this picture in verses 22 and 23 of a city, a weak city, as we are told in Ecclesiastes chapter nine, a weak city that that stands against a strong army because of a wise Man who lives within the city. And then in verse 23, Solomon takes this metaphor and applies it to our tongue. Our tongue, as the book of James tells us, is a a small piece of our body, and yet it is a rudder, like a rudder that steers a great ship or a spark that starts a great fire. And we need wisdom to conquer the attacks of our very own tongue. How many of you have made the mistake of of letting something just fly out of your mouth before your filter can kick in and stop it? And you're just kind of like out there trying to grab it back. Wisdom gives us the strength, the military strength that is needed to conquer and to guard and to keep our tongue in our mouth with wisdom. 
whether Rehoboam needed guarding against making promises that couldn't be kept or, or guarding against harmful statements, applying wisdom was the way in which he could gain mastery over his tongue. So the wise king guards his tongue. The wise king um, is concerned with righteousness and justice, and the wise king is diligent. But then in a, a way of warning, Solomon also gives his son five marks of the wicked king. And we'll just go ahead and get this one out of the way first. But the first mark is that you must beware of bad relationship choices. Verses 9 and 19 are those, those proverbs that oftentimes we look at and we just kind of chuckle. Better to live on the corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. On down to 19, better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. Many times marriages in the ancient Near East and even in our own recent history, especially in kingdoms with monarchs, with kings and queens, marriages were arranged for political expediency, for economic expediency, for, for military advantages that you would take a, a, a daughter from one nation and you would marry her to a son or a king of another nation in order to form political alliances. And the temptation for Rehoboam is going to seek out, is going to be to seek out other spouses for, for, for convenience sake, for efficiency's sake. And Solomon says here, it's better to sleep on the corner of a roof. Roofs during this time, most homes had flat roofs. And during the summer months, um, instead of sitting in your living room to watch whatever the ancient Near East equivalent of Netflix was, you would go up on the rooftop where the breeze was blowing and, and you would have, you know, your your lounge chairs up there and your your fellowship areas up there because you didn't have air conditioning inside. Well, you didn't stay up there during the wintertime because it was cold and it was rainy and it was yucky. And Solomon says to Rehoboam, look, instead of pursuing a wife who might potentially just cause you all kinds of problems. Well, it'd be better just to live up on that corner of the roof all year long. In fact, he goes on to verse 19 and it said it'd be even better to live out in the wilderness, in the desert where only sheep can survive. Than to make these political alliances that will give you political expediency, but will cause you great trouble and great distress. And as I said, Solomon failed in this himself in making these alliances through marriage that led him away from God. This, this isn't, these aren't verses to help us husbands pick on our wives. God forbid we use them that way. These are verses to remind us that sometimes it is better to forego marriage than to get into a relationship that might lead us away from God, that might lead us to a place of suffering that is brought upon us because we are unequally yoked. Now, this also is not an excuse for divorce. You might find yourself in a relationship where you are unequally yoked, or you might find yourself married to the quarrelsome and ill-tempered spouse. Prayer and the support of your church family Reliance upon God in the midst of that is the way to go. But the wicked king, the first mark of them is they pursue relationships for expediency. Secondly, Solomon says that the wicked king is marked by arrogance and pride. So much so, in fact, that their nickname is mocker or arrogant one. We all know the person. We all know the person, especially when they get power, that the most important person in the world is them. And if you don't believe it, just ask them. They will tell you. Usually in long, expanded, flowery sentences, how wonderful, how important, how powerful, how wealthy they are. They might be the greatest person ever. <clears throat> And they will let you know that. 
And we usually give them nicknames behind their back, do we not? Because they are labeled by their arrogance. They are labeled by their mockery of other people. And Solomon says to Rehoboam, if you pursue arrogance, if you pursue pride, that's how you'll be known. That's what you'll be known for. And we would far rather be known for humility and Christ-likeness than to be known for our arrogance and our pride. Thirdly, violence from 21.7. This could be either physical or verbal violence that Solomon is talking about. Kings had almost unlimited power in this time. It's not like the Queen of England today where she's just kind of a figurehead and she gives her blessing here and she gives her blessing there and she shows up to important um, uh, important things just to kind of show her solidarity with the people. Rehoboam was going to have almost unlimited power over the Israelites. And a mark of wickedness is using that power for violence. Once again, it could be verbal violence. It could be actual physical violence. But the wicked king is a violent king. Fourth, the wicked king is a dishonest king from verse 6, verse 8, and verse 28. They gain fortune through deceit. They are devious or crooked in their thinking. And they pursue injustice through false witness, as we see in verse 28, which that injustice will boomerang back on them, whether in this world or in the next. God will not put up with the wicked or dishonest king. And fifthly, and I think this is, we're probably going to sit here for just a couple extra minutes here, but fifthly, the wicked king is governed by his passions or his desires. Verse 21, 10, or chapter 21, 10, 17, and 25, and 26. The wicked man craves evil. His neighbor gets no mercy from him. Now there are different levels of fools within the book of Proverbs. There's the simple man who is just at the beginning of his journey. He knows what he needs for wisdom, but he hasn't quite made the choice for either wisdom or folly. Then there's the fool. And the fool has made a conscious choice to follow wickedness and folly. And then there's the foolish fool who is so far gone in his wickedness and folly that it is going to take an act of God to bring him back to wisdom. And that man or woman craves evil to such an extent that he goes out seeking to hurt his neighbor. He refuses to give mercy to his neighbor. He sees his neighbor maybe working real hard to start a lawnmower that won't start. And he knows he's got the answer to what's wrong with it, but he'll just sit back and sip his iced tea and laugh as his neighbor's just there constantly tugging and pulling on the string. He refuses mercy to his neighbor. Verse 17, he loves pleasure. He loves wine and rich oil. He loves the delicacies of life. That is what he pursues above all things. He pursues, he craves, he desires to have all of his needs met through the pursuit of pleasure. In verses 25 and 26, uh, in that craving, he becomes lazy. And those cravings will become the death of him because he refuses to work, to do the things necessary. And all day long, he just wants more and more and more. And the more he craves, the more he desires, the more he gets, the more he wants. And those cravings will destroy him. What do we crave? What do we want? We want importance. We want acceptance. We want relief from our problems. As we talked about in Sunday school a little bit today, we want the peace that passes all understanding, but we don't want the God who gives us all those things. And so, since we crave those things, rather than the God who promises peace in the midst of difficulty, In the pursuit of that peace, we crave the things of this world. 
to fill those holes within us that only God can fill. To fill those needs, those desires that only God can fill. And we need something to come into our lives and change those desires. To be God's desires. Do we want communion with God? Or do we want the peace that only comes through communion with God? Because if we pursue that peace without pursuing communion with God, that peace will forever be illusory. It will forever be out of our reach. And the more we pursue that peace without pursuing the God who gives the peace, the emptier we will be. We need to have our hearts shifted from not just wanting the peace, but wanting the God who gives peace. And that takes an act of God, brothers and sisters. Because apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are the foolish fool. We are born as the foolish fool. With a heart toward, turned toward hurting others, toward getting our wealth by hook or by crook toward pursuing our own glory and being known as the proud mocker. And the Holy Spirit has to come in and say, let me take that dead heart, that heart of stone, and I'm going to replace it with a heart of flesh so that you can see the glory of the God who gives all those things. And you can pursue Him. And in the midst of the difficulties of this life, you will have all the blessings you thought you could get through the cravings of this world. Brothers and sisters, it is only by the work of God that our hearts can be turned from pursuing the life of the wicked king to pursuing the life of the righteous king. And that leads us to the last thing that Solomon reminds us of is that we cannot forget the motives of the heart. In Proverbs 1.7 and in 9.10, Solomon opens and closes his introduction to these individual Proverbs with the saying that The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Those who pursue steadfast love and faithfulness, the fear of the Lord is marked by a pursuit of loving obedience, worshipful obedience to God, to his laws and to his instructions. And it takes a heart change for us to move from the pursuit of the characteristics of the wicked king to move to a pursuit of the characteristics of the righteous king. And brothers and sisters, God is going to weigh your heart one of these days. And there will be a lot of people. Matthew 7, 21 and 23 tells us there will be a lot of people there that are going to say, God, I did all these wonderful things for you. And he's going to look at them and say, your heart was in the wrong place. Get away from me. I never knew you. We are going to stumble and fall. We are going to be tempted and drawn back toward the characteristics of the wicked king. We are going to find ourselves faithless before a faithful God. And through the work of Jesus, through the work of the Holy Spirit, God will still see us as faithful because our hearts are right with him. Don't come before God in your own holiness because it leads to death. Come before God in Jesus' holiness, seeking to glorify God in the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. There was only one truly righteous king, and his righteousness is ours through God's grace. Two things to wrap up. First, We live, and we talked about this in Sunday School today too, we live in a country that is very quickly, openly turning its back upon the things of God. They're calling the things of God evil and the things of wickedness good. But the king's heart is in God's hand. That's something very important for us to understand. God might turn, we don't have kings, we have presidents and congressmen and Supreme Court judges. And every single one of their hearts are held 
in the hand of God. He is sovereign over them. He raised them up. He will tear them down as well. Sometimes he raises kings up for judgment. Sometimes he raises them up for glory and for peace. But we are to pray to the God who holds our government in his hand that he would change them to bring life-giving waters to this country rather than the, the sewage and the death of wickedness. And secondly, we've talked about wise and wicked kings here today, and I have, and I have extolled the virtues given to us by the Holy Spirit of the wise and righteous king. None of us are going to be kings or queens in this room, more than likely. Men, the home's not even our own castle. But we are to pursue these things anyway. When we looked at the characteristics of elders and deacons several years ago, we did so in the, in the context of that opening verse of 1 Timothy 3, where it is good to pursue leadership in the church. Why is it good to pursue leadership in the church? Because you have to meet all these characteristics to be a leader in the church. And if you're pursuing leadership, it means that you are pursuing these characteristics that godly men and women should live according to. It would be good for each of us to be wise kings and queens. Why? Because it means that we are pursuing the things of righteousness. We are pursuing diligence. We are pursuing righteousness and justice. We are pursuing having our desires changed to be equal to God's desires. We are to be living our lives according to Christ-likeness. And Christ was the one truly righteous king. So let us today pursue wisdom and righteousness in the power of a God's, in the power of God's gift of a new heart that truly fears and worships him. Let us pray. Our God and Father, we do thank you for Solomon's reminder that you call us to righteousness. Strengthen us for that pursuit of righteousness so that we may honor and glorify you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take your hymnal and turn to hymn number 371. Ask ye what great thing I know. What great thing do you know? Well, what I know is that Jesus has died to save me from my sins and to reconcile me with God. And so let us stand and consider that truth as we sing hymn number 371. We'll sing the first and the last. As you go this week to pursue righteousness and to serve the, the creator God, take this blessing with you. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. We cry out in prayer. Come quickly, Lord Jesus.